yeah, Duke, we would love to see you in VBS. Oh, he's looking at the background. There you go. Uh, so you see our theme, and it's going to be a great week. One of my favorite weeks of the year, obviously, is Vacation Bible School. Please be in prayer for that. Uh, Grief Share, June the 10th, uh, begins it's tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. June the 16th, Father's Day next Sunday, we will have a basket auction after the service to help raise funds for our children's camp, which is that following week. We're going to have an, an announcement at the end of the service about a new Bible study that's beginning, so I'll hold that off to end. And then uh, June the 30th, we are hosting our youth camp worship rally at 6 o'clock as well. Also, on the 23rd at 6 o'clock p.m., Ms. Deborah Williams, that's actually Alan Brooks's aunt, will be with us to um, help us with a financial stewardship seminar on the 23rd at 6 o'clock. So mark your calendars and you'll hear more details about what that's going to be um, next Sunday morning. So... We are blessed to be here today and, and grateful to see all of you here. I'd like to recognize Sister Ellis Dennis, who's going to read our passage of Scripture this morning to begin our worship. Let's stand together and be attentive to the Word of God and allow it to speak to, speak to our hearts. Uh, also in our community, obviously many of you know, a great loss with our friend and brother uh, Tommy Stutz. Let's be in prayer for his family. He was very close and dear to a lot of people in our congregation but congregations throughout our county, I mean, the ministry that he and Stutz Funeral Home has had and will continue to have through the years has been tremendous in our particular time of need. So let's be especially prayerful uh, for them as well. And I'll mention some other prayer needs uh, later on in the service. But Brother Ellis, why don't you come and read our passage, please? Before I read this, uh, Psalms 27, let's stand and give a moment of silence to Mr. Tommy Stutz. Heard County has lost a great man. Thank you. I want to read Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fail. Though I, a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Through war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing have I asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of, of the Lord and to mediate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in, tab in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on the rock. And now 
my head will be lifted up above my enemies against me. My eyes water. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When thou dost say it, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide thy face from me. Do not turn the servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me to the level path because of my faith. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For I take witnesses have risen against me. And such a breath out victory, of, of, out violence, I would have despaired un unless I have believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the, of the living will for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Thank y'all. Good morning. We're going to begin worship this morning with singing Come Thou Fount.
I was telling the choir this morning, it's, it's never ceases to amaze me how we plan out songs in advance, you know, months in advance, um, yet they always fall exactly when they need to. Like that second verse said, I can't remember a trial or a pain. He didn't recycle for my gain. You know, I think that's so hard for us to comprehend in the midst of trials and pain that, that God's going to use that in some way or another. Every, every situation is God, God's going to use in some way or another to bring him glory because he's so faithful always. And I just felt like that was such a good reminder for us this morning. Um, and we know that faithfulness comes from his amazing grace and his amazing love. So will you stand with me? We're going to sing this is amazing grace. Who? 
when we get upset and even mad and angry and we don't understand, God, that you're still faithful and that every pain we feel, God, is because it's part of your plan and because it's going to bring us gain, God. So, Lord, I pray that we grow closer to you, Lord, that we just reside in your faithfulness and that we allow that faithfulness to carry us through every situation, Lord knowing that you have showed us such amazing grace that your love's never going to end and that your love will always embrace us, God. We've just got to cry out to you in times that we struggle to feel it, God, to say, Lord, comfort me with your love. Lord, you are amazing, and everything you do is amazing. So, Lord, I just pray that you, um, you speak to our hearts this morning, God. Lord, sometimes congregations hurt. And when we hurt, God, we need your comfort. And I know that you can provide that comfort when nobody else can, God. We love you. And we still give you every ounce of praise and worship and honor and glory. And we just turn this service over to you that you'll fill us with your spirit. And that you'll just be with us in this time of study as well, Lord. Speak through Pastor Neil as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. chapter 2, the rest of us. Also, normally here at Glenlock, we love to recognize babies who are making their first time visits with us. Uh, so Adrian and Terry Stubbs have a new grandbaby boy who's with us today, Jensen Connor Sullivan. Chip and Melissa Sullivan's son is here for the first time. So let's welcome Jensen Connor. <laughs> Catherine will take Jensen a Bible. Well, actually a book that comes from the Bible. A book about the Bible. Chip and Melissa, read this book. It's about heaven, okay? We love you and we're grateful for what God is doing in your life. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, the context, obviously, this morning, if you haven't noticed, we have the elements of the Lord's Supper here today. I'm going to make a point about that in the message because... Here we have symbolic for us the, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. And Peter is going to instruct us as Christians in how to live our lives in such a way that makes a difference in the world around us. We've got to remember who we are and what we are called to be and do. We're working verse by verse through 1 Peter, and so... Last week we finished with verse 10, so we'll pick up in verses 11 and 12. But then in light of our context, I would like to read also verse 21 
through 25. Not only is that the context in which Peter writes these instructions, but it's also the context of the Lord's Supper and of communion. And I think you'll see what I mean as I begin to read it. So I'm going to pick up with verse 9 to draw from last week. He says, but you, but you, notice the contrast. There's the world around you, okay? But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the Bible is the mirror for us, showing us who we really are in Christ. And what Peter wants to drive home is that you are a people who have received a gift. You've received the gift of his mercy. And that is what now identifies you. That's what separates you. That's what makes you different. Now you are saved, you've been loved and rescued and graced by God, and now God has a purpose and a mission for your life now that you've received this great gift. So then he picks up in verse 11, which is our instruction this morning. Beloved, he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Then he has other instructions, and he ties everything that he teaches as we should all do, to what God has first done for us in Christ. So look at what he says in verse 20. What credit is there if when you sin you're harshly treated, you endure that with patience, but if when you do what's right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this is what finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his body. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. That is the clearest, simplest form of the gospel. Three one-syllable words, by his wounds, and three more, you are healed. For you are continually straying like a sheep, or like sheep, but now you have returned. Now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Father, thank you for the good news of what Christ has done for us. And now we cannot live 
toward victory, but rather from the victory that you have already won on our behalf. And as Peter instructs, Lord, that not only saves our soul, but it makes a difference in how our soul and our body relates to the world around us. Thank you, God, for loving us enough to give us another opportunity to be under your word, worshiping together, and to praise your holy name. And thank you that today, as part of our service, we get to specifically remember in the way you commanded us to what what Christ did with his body during his time and his season on earth. May that instruct us and inspire us and empower us to use our bodies for your purposes, for your glory, your honor, and to minister to others in their time of need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, there are a few factors I think Peter wants us to consider in this passage about how we relate to the unbelieving world around us. Now, he has been writing about how the church relates to one another. He now shifts to how we relate to the world around us. He writes these instructions to the church. These are people who have been blessed with the gift of God's mercy, and now he's instructing them, okay, now that you've been saved, and now that you're part of this family, this fellowship, Here's how you relate to the pagan world around you. This reminds me, as I've quoted often, what Lucy from Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strip said about the world around her. She says, oh, I love the world. She says, it's people I can't stand. And let's be real. All of us are difficult. We are fallen. We are sinful. We are short-sighted. We are selfish. So I'm going to give us real quick three factors in how to care for your soul or how God desires to care for your soul in a mixed up world. And those three things, just going to give them to us and explain, then we're going to work toward uh, the gospel here. They are the fellowship that we have, the fight we are in, and the focus God has given us. We're part of a fellowship, we are in a fight, and God has given us a focus for a mission that makes a difference and glorifies Him. Now, He works all this out in just these two verses. Who are we? Well, look at who we are in verse 11. We're we're the beloved. We are those whom God has chosen and called and loved. So when Peter starts addressing them on how they ought to live in a pagan world that cares nothing about God, nothing about his instructions and why we are here, you've got to remember, people, that you're part of the beloved. Some of your versions there say, dear friends. So you're part of a fellowship, you're part of a community, you're part of a family. And so he urges us with this passionate appeal. Then he reminds me that I'm really weird. (laughs) I mean, that's Neil's interpretation of what an alien and a stranger is. So you've been called out out of the world. You're still in the world, but you're not of the world. You're called out of the world, uh, saved and redeemed and justified. And then God begins to work on you. 
so that you begin to be someone who's bound for a different destiny and home. This world is not your home. You're alien and you're strange. Like it said of Abraham, you're a stranger in a strange land. So that's who he tells to abstain from fleshly lusts which are at war against the soul. So Peter's pretty clear that he wants us to understand first who we are so that we can then be instructed and empowered to be different from the world around us. And let's be honest, the statistics aren't on, on the difference between the church and the world around us. Unfortunately, the statistics are disappointing that many of us don't have any distinct difference or contrast from the world around us, and we are living as if God did not exist. But that's, that's another sermon. I just want to point out that we are the beloved, we are the chosen. He urges us to abstain from fleshly lusts because we are aliens and strangers who are called to a different purpose, a different character, a different life for the benefit of the world and ourselves and the kingdom of God. We are called to faithfulness. We are called to love. We are called to sacrifice. We are called to generosity. We are called to purity and forgiveness, service and humility. We're called to worship and praise and to not live for ourselves but instead to hope beyond hope for an eternal glory and destiny and love. We are called to honesty. We are called to submission. We are called to humility. All of those characteristics, at least rightly understood, are strange and foreign to the world around us. So understand the fellowship you're in and know that the fellowship you're in makes a huge difference in your life, both for now and for eternity, And he tells this fellowship to abstain from fleshly lusts because not everything in this great wide world is good for you. This is a fallen world and you and I have fallen appetites. Just a little illustration from my childhood. My wife calls these my little boy stories. <laughs> these were especially prevalent early in my ministry. Oh, you told one of your little boy stories again. When I was a child, I visited a home of a friend. I'd never been to this home before. And we were at his grandparents' house. In fact, I'll tell you who it was. For those of you who have heard County Roots, it was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Don Staples, okay? I was visiting their home with their grandson. When I got there, Mrs. Staples, upon visiting and entering her home, she gave what I'll call a brief orientation tour. She took me outside, Mr. Joe, and she showed me her property, and she showed everything to me that was good for me to do and then everything that was bad for me to do. So I got real quick what was right and what was wrong while I was on her property. She even showed me these little red berries that were poisonous. And she said, and I'd never seen those things before. She said, listen, she says, I love you boys, and I don't want either one of you boys to eat one of these poisonous berries. Well, I trusted Miss Staples. 
I love Miss Staples. I knew that she had my best in mind. So I took all this in and I did exactly what she said because I was a strange visitor to her little kingdom. You and I need someone like her to come alongside us and instruct us in the way that God intends for life to be lived and enjoyed. The church serves that purpose. The Bible serves that purpose. God himself and his spirit serves that purpose for us, showing us in life what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, because my appetites are fallen and distorted. And had she not instructed me as, you know, as seeking as I would have been at that time, we, we might would have eaten those poisonous berries that would have harmed us, and she said maybe even killed us. I just want to emphasize the, the, the picture here that people... That, that Peter gives us of the church and our need for the church and the word of God to guide us in the care of our bodies and our souls. You need a fellowship. And God has provided that fellowship in the church. And he's provided himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to give us the guidance that we need. Now, the second thing I want to point out is that we're in a fight you may not be aware of it, but you and I are daily in a battle. There is a war going on around us and within us at all times. And I don't know about you, but one of the worst things that can happen is to show up for a fight and you don't realize you're in a fight and you're not fighting. So there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for what's most important about you. And God has concern over your soul's relationship with him, with yourself, and others because these are sacred parts of you and of life. And apparently there is a connection between my body and my soul. My body and my soul created by him in Genesis. It says that he breathed into us the breath of life and we became living souls. One of the biggest lies is that I can do something with my body and it not affect the soul. That's not true. Peter says to abstain from fleshly lusts which battle and wage war against the soul. So whatever I do with my body affects my relationship with God, my relationship with myself, and my relationship with others. So what's my strategy to fight? First, I need to own the fact that the most important aspect of my life is my soul. I was reading a book recently written by a man named J.C. Ryle, a book that is dated 1888. So this is really old. But I thought it was really good. Why should I care that my soul is in a battle and that my body and, and the lustful desires of my body may wage war against the soul. Well, essentially, your soul is the most important thing you have. It's the most important thing you are. It is what you are. Your soul is eternal. It will live forever. The world and all that it contains shall pass away. Firm, solid, beautiful, well-ordered as it is, this world shall come to an end. The, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The works of statesmen, writers, painters, architects are all short-lived. Your soul will outlive them all. The angel's voice shall proclaim one day that time shall be no longer, but that will never be said of your soul. 
No place, no employment is good for you, which injures, injures your soul. No friend, no companion deserves your confidence, who makes light of your soul's concerns. The man who hurts your person, your property, your character, does you but temporary harm. He is the true enemy who contrives damage to your soul. So that's why we should care about fleshly lusts, is that they wage war against the most sacred eternal part of us, our souls. So first, be aware of the fight. Be aware of the effect of the fight on your soul. We must remember from the very beginning, Satan has always presented the pleasure of sin, but never the sting. We need to have a strategy and be very, very specific. I'm not going to go into it today. You've heard me talk about it before. We're studying right now on Wednesday nights the pursuit of holiness. Here's a really good strategy for abstaining from the fleshly lusts which attack the soul. And some of you are like, no, I'm good. I got it. You know, I'm good. No, we desperately need a strategy. We become extremely vulnerable to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We, got, we, we need to know the rules of the game and what the specifics are. Normally, when we talk about a strategy to fight this battle, I, I've got sheets that have specific behaviors and sins of the mind, the emotions, the mouth, and so forth. But I want to remind you that when we talk about fleshly lust. We are talking about what's underneath us that drives our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors that affect our souls and the souls of others. So we could point out the seven deadly sins. If you, when's the last time you heard something on the seven deadly sins? Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, slothfulness, these unchecked or unmortified will do great damage to our souls. If you're like me, the primary enemy and the primary battle is within. So all I ask you to do for the moment is examine your life, your mind, your heart, your emotions, and you know, with help and instruction from the Bible, what the fleshly lust you struggle with personally that wage war against your soul. Again, I love Mr. Jackie Wayne's advice the other week. You can't prevent a bird or a thought from landing on your head, but you can sure prevent it from building a nest, and that's where the battle begins. Inside of me, with me owning it and recognizing it and confronting the battle within and the enemy within, and remember what we were taught as children. Not everything's good. Some of this stuff out here is poisonous. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Why? Well, the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Can't go into the specifics, but just recognize... You have a fellowship, you're in a fight, and now let me lead to the gospel. Here's our focus. The focus really is on our mission and what we're called to be and do. We could go through a list of fleshly lusts and what we should not do with our bodies and how that wages war in our souls. 
and how it affects our relationship to God, how it affects our relationship with ourselves, how it affects our relationship with other people, and how sacred those things are. I could talk about what we must not do, but what Peter does is he then changes directions, and he says, this is what you ought to do with your life. Instead of the no's, I want to give you a yes that trumps every other purpose and possibility that's out there. Something beautiful, something bigger, something better, something higher. And here it is in verse 12. Instead of living for yourself and being curved in on yourself and going through this great big world, lusting after every pleasure that's out there, some of it very helpful and good, some of it very dangerous and poisonous. Instead of that being your mentality, shift it to this. Conduct yourselves. Conduct yourself like a conductor. Live your life in such a way that your behavior is excellent. Is there anything different about me? Is there anything that stands out about me? The, the things I read earlier, the humility, the love, the sacrifice. I'm not talking about sitting around in your closet scrubbing your halo. I'm talking about getting out among the Gentiles. Look at what he says. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That's a phrase for those who do not know God. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. And let's be honest, the world around us does not have a favorable view of the Christian. And a lot of it is our own fault in that we're not following from our heart what Christ teaches. But anyone who lives righteously is going to be hated by the world. Check what happened to Jesus. So the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, and the world's going to say, and they're going to talk, and you just got to let the world talk and say. But they are slandering you. But we don't say, well, I don't care. No, we do care because God cares. Well, how do you know God cares? Look at what he says. So that they may, on account of your good deeds, as they see them, they'll glorify God in the day of visitation, which is in the day of judgment, the day of Christ's return. So we have a glorious mission and purpose. We have wonderful opportunities around us every day to be the church in the world, and this simply means loving people, meeting them where they are, and doing with our time and our energy and our bodies what is good and helpful and gracious and godly in the lives of our family, our community, the world at large, when you leave this place, you're on the mission field and you're to be salt and light and, and conduct yourself in a way that other people look at you and they say, wow, there may be something to this Christianity. She's different at work. He's different on the field. He's not that different, but he's a little different. <laughs> the way he responds and the way he carries himself He's gracious, he's humble, he's self-sacrificing. He's not all about him and what he's got going on and, and his lusts and his agenda and on and on and on comparing this to what Peter says earlier. Your good deeds. So here's all I'm saying. We need a paradigm shift within. We need good news to change us. 
Instead of going through life asking, what can I get away with? Ask a better question, and that is, what can I give? What can I sacrifice? How can I be busy engaging in good deeds? I found in my own life that my fleshly lusts begin to be mortified the more I pour my mind and energy into loving and serving others, that helps me in my own personal battles. But an idle mind is the devil's workshop, and an idle body in life is as well. So if I find myself pouring myself out, doing good in ministry to others, that helps me personally. So what Peter gives us is some really good advice, but I want to go beyond that, that you and I need more than good advice. This is helpful. But what I really need is good news. And here's why. All of us in here have struggled with the issues that I mentioned earlier in how we live and use and treat our body. I mean, all of us at some point or other are guilty of these uh, seven deadly sins, and what are we going to do about it? So you go to your doctor, and you go to your pastor, and you go to your counsel. And Tim Keller says that they say something like this to us. They give us a lot of good advice. And he lists some of this. Eat five small meals a day and run. <laughs> All right? You got that. You see me running, right? Some of you say, yeah, I'm running from something. You better go see what's after me. Eat only breakfast and dinner and walk. Also eat lots of protein and lift Weights and don't even do any cardio because cardio is bad for your joints. Don't eat too much protein. Make sure you're sleeping a lot, but don't be sedentary. Don't be too active because that's bad for your blood pressure. Make sure you replace all your lost salt, but never eat too much sodium. It's easy. Just eat vegetables. Don't eat potatoes, though, or corn. Fruit's obviously good for you, and it's also all sugar, and sugar's bad for you. But sugar, I forgot to mention, is also a vital source of quick-burning carbs that your brain needs to survive, and, and so you should avoid it at all costs. Protein's hurting your kidneys, so may you make sure you eat a lot of it. Oh, drink water. But never starve yourself unless you're calling it intermittent fasting. And then it's okay to starve yourself just a little bit. Don't overhydrate. Fish is obviously super good for you and it's full of mercury, which is killing you. Get some sun every day for vitamin D and also skin cancer. What we learn is that living's bad for us. And we've all done a bad job of living. That's what it means to be a sinner, right? And that's good advice, it's conflicting advice, but I want, us to, I want us to hear the good news. The reason that we are in this sinful mess, this fallen mess, is that Adam and Eve listened to the tempter who said, take this and eat. God's lying to you, there's a pleasure here that he's withholding, take it and eat. And it was poisonous to them and to the human race, and it led to death. As I think about good deeds and what Jesus did with his body, 
I'm so thankful for the good news that my righteousness, my salvation, my security, my strength is based on what Christ did with his body. He abstained from fleshly lust perfectly. In fact, not only did he abstain, but he did with his body what was truly holy and beautiful and good, and that he sacrificed it for this fellowship. He said to his disciples, Take this. It's my body. Eat of it. Draw benefit from it. This is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that fellowship was set apart because of the righteous use and righteous sacrifice of Jesus with his body on the cross. And then God raised his body up from the dead glorious and beautiful and powerful. And so now we don't abstain from fleshly lust in order to earn our salvation. No, because none of us have done that or could do that. The good news is that Jesus did that on the cross for us, and then understanding that transforms us to begin to be empowered to live a good life among the Gentiles so that they'll know the good news of what God in his mercy and grace has done for us. Is any of that making sense? That's why he talks about what Jesus did with his body at the end of this text. He committed no sin. In fact, there was no deceit in his mouth. And if you want to know a part of your body that you've used wrongly, it is your mouth. Who can tame their mouth, James says. Well, Jesus did. There was no deceit in his mouth. And these Christians were suffering, and Jesus, they reviled him. He didn't revile in return. He suffered, submitting himself to torture, and mockery and humiliation undertook pain for you and me, not just physical but emotional and spiritual as he took upon himself on the cross the wrath of God, but he kept entrusting the Father, the one who judges righteously, and the Father vindicated him. He bore our sins in his, what? Body. Use your body righteously. Why? Because Jesus in his body bore the penalty of my sin. See the connection Peter's making. So that I can now live for righteousness rather than sin and die to sin. It shall no longer be my master because I'm now under grace and not the law. I was continually straying like, like a sheep. We were like sheep and now we're, we're under a shepherd, a guardian of our souls. Aha, now I know what I needed. I needed somebody to save my soul and to watch over it for me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? Man, from the very beginning, God was showing us what to do. Now as we remember his broken body and his shed blood, here's what I want to say. We have daily opportunities as a church family to do good deeds. And we need to be busy engaging in good, good deeds which reflect, which reflect the good deed he did for us. And I just want to share with you in the last two, three days, okay, that life doesn't stop just because you go on vacation. 
So I went fishing in the key. Bear, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going long, and you're thinking, hey, we got the Lord's Supper to get to. What, what's your point? <laughs> I, I've, I've been there. I've been sitting out there before. So Judd and Nancy Hall's son's fishing in the Keys. He invites me to come, and I spend two days with my son Asa and a couple other guys on a boat, and, and, and for two days we did this. Caught a bunch of fish. And this morning, I, you know, I thought I'd get up here in the pulpit, and the pulpit's starting to do this. Why are y'all rocking and waving out there? But just in those couple of days, life continues to happen, and so, so let me let you know, and, and I have a purpose in this. My purpose in this is just so that we'll wake up and see the opportunities around us to do good constantly in the opportunities God gives us. Candy Walker's back, back there this morning. Her, her dad, her dad right now is in ICU at Tanner. And Candy loves her dad. And I told Candy we would pray for her dad. Instead of lusting after whatever it is you're lusting after, the, the new thing, material, whatever it is, balance all that off with, with praying for, for Candy Walker's dad, okay? Will, will y'all do that good deed? Miss Becky Gaskamp this week had a procedure, and they put a, a defibrillator in Miss in, in Becky to, to enhance her physical health, and she's not doing well this morning, but she said, I'll be at the soup kitchen Tuesday. Miss Becky, we'd pray for. Miss Kathy Mangum and her mother Gwen, they're not here this morning because Miss Kathy Mangum's son recently married a woman and her parents died in a plane crash in North Carolina this week. Four people were killed in a crash. I couldn't believe it. I told Miss Kathy, she's shocked, saddened, and, and I promised her that, that we would pray for her. And the, and, and the the in-laws family of, of her son. Bill Grissett is in Pensacola in the hospital right now with an infection in his foot that is just, it's one of the worst staph infections that you could have. I, I promised Bill this morning that we would pray for him. He's in Pensacola right now with a staph infection. And then Friday morning, I get the call about Tommy Studd. And let me just say that Tommy and I spent a lot of time together talking about ministering to the community. And when I think about someone who gave himself physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way to ministering to the families of Heard County in their time of need, I see a man pouring out his life and his family and their role in our community doing good to people at a time when all of us do really bad. And I mean, we feel bad. We grieve our loved ones and our lost, our lost ones. And all I'm saying is that there's opportunity abounding. There's enough good for us to be doing to keep our hearts and minds away from all the bad that's out there. And we do this not to earn our salvation, but out of love and gratitude and praise to the one who so willingly sacrificed himself physically, mentally, spiritually, on our behalf on the cross. And then when the world around you sees that, Peter says the goal is that they would believe, that they would glorify God 
When Christ returns, they will have believed in him because of the way you loved and ministered in their time of need. The centurion looked up at Jesus. He was an absolute pagan who did not believe in the God of glory or in Jesus. But as he watched Jesus suffer and die, this pagan did exactly what Peter says our goal is. It says he glorified God and he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. That's the goal for everything that we do as a church, is that others would come to know the merciful, holy, just, kind, heavenly Father that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Just the grace to be here. I I truly don't mean to just be flippant in any way about any needs that are out there. But I'm just trying to help us see, Father, that around us, if we have the right set of eyes and the right kind of heart, that around us every day is the greatest, most beautiful purpose that we could live for, and that is to give ourselves away for the sake of the gospel and in response to what you've first done for us. We could gain this whole world and lose our soul never be satisfied, never be content, never have peace. Father, save us from ourselves. Save us from that. And empower us to live for you and for your glory. Thank you that one way you do that in my daily life and in our daily lives is taking us back to to communion and, and the Lord's Supper regularly to see again his broken body in his shed blood. And by faith we believe and we take in the benefits that Christ and his sacrifice and his resurrection brings to us. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness, your perseverance with us. That, that you've, you are long-suffering with every single one of us. And, and apart from that, we would have no hope. May during this time our hearts and our minds be open and receptive to you and who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, at this time I'm going to ask our deacons if they would come forward. Uh, We're going to serve the Lord's Supper. We'll serve the bread first. Uh, Deacons, if you'll come forward. We'll serve the bread first. Uh, Each of you who are believers, we invite you to, to take that. And then I will lead us in partaking together. And then we'll serve the cup also after that likewise. And I will lead us all in taking that together. Um, the symbolism is, 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 is truly important. That all of us are in need of Christ as we are in need of bread and water and food. We have that same, we share that together. We have that fellowship, that quantity. We share both the, the, the guilt and we share in the benefits of what Christ has done for us. So I'm going to ask Kyle. Kyle, would you pray for us uh, as a church family before we take communion? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and just thank you for this time of worship. Lord, uh, just thank you for your kindness and your love for us. And I just thank you most for the sacrifice, God, and what you've done on our behalf. And I'm just grateful for the good news this morning. And God, I, this is just a, such a, a, a great thing, God, doing the Lord's Supper. 
And I just ask, Lord, that uh, each and every one of us here would examine ourselves, that this would be the opportunity, Lord, to, to see if indeed if we're, we're in the faith, God. If you, if, if, uh, I just pray that we'd confess our sins and give it to you, God, and, and we'd commune with you and, and be holy like you. That's, that's ultimately what your goal is. And I'm just grateful for this time, Lord, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the peace and the, um, just your kindness. And I pray that uh, you'd be with each and every one of us in this room, God, and that, that if there's somebody here, God, that, that ain't never took the Lord's Supper or don't know what it means, God, well, you'd put it on their heart, God, and they know that you're good, God, and that you're holy. These things I ask in the name of Jesus, amen.
Amen. Here's the good news of what God has done for us, which we could not do. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Likewise, they took the cup.
Man, Peter wrote in the passage I read, by his wounds we are healed. Thanks be to God for the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, through the finished work of Christ and his shed blood. In the same way, Jesus took the cup.